Good morning, family. We're in 2 Peter. We are moving through the New Testament at a rapid pace. Hopefully you are able to read through the week and, and stay up with that pace. But if not, the good thing about the Bible is that it's been around for about 2,000 years. And I think it's going to be around for a while. So if you haven't engaged with it, it's right there. Many of you probably have a Bible sitting in your house. Maybe you haven't touched it. Take the invitation. Open it up. Even if you haven't read any of it, open it up. Start in 2 Peter. Usually we want you to do like John, Acts, Romans, right? That's, the, that's what I usually tell people if they've never read the Bible before. But you know, sometimes rules are made to be broken. So start in 2 Peter. 2 Peter was written, we believe, and I would say almost for sure, by Peter. Now that seems normal, right? Many scholars would say, well, they're not sure because there's this difference in the writing styles. So if you read some articles, you'll go, oh, wow, 1 Peter, it was written really eloquently. Had a lot of great language. And 2 Peter looks a little rough. But if you think just with a little bit of common sense, Peter had a lot of time to write 1 Peter. And I would guess that he probably brought in some people that could write well, had some editors to help out. Just like if you have planned to write a book and you bring in editors and you do a whole series of writing books and you've prepared for a long time to write this one book, it probably is going to look pretty good. Second Peter is more than likely written at the end of Peter's life. And he probably had to kind of rush it. And it can dramatically change your writing style. I bet you can relate to this on emails that you have carefully crafted and emails that you haven't so carefully crafted. Your writing style may look a little differently. But no matter who wrote it, we believe 100% that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I believe almost 99.9% that it was Peter. And Peter used part of his life and his faith in God, and it kind of spilled out into this, into this letter. It was inspired not only about who he is when he wrote it, but reflecting on who he was. And he starts out the letter with both his names. The name he was given by his earthly father and the name he was given by Jesus. And I think one of the invitations in the very first two words, which is Simon Peter, that the Lord gives us in this letter is don't remember, or don't, remember who you are. Don't forget who I made you. But also look forward and jump into who I'm making you to be. He's at work not only in the past, not only in the present, but also in the future. And I think, maybe it's a stretch, but whatever. Simon Peter, powerful words, two names in the very first part of this letter that shows a reflection of a guy who's looking at, historically, a horrible death. I don't know if they told him that he's going to be crucified upside down. 
We don't know for sure that he was, but history would say that it was probable. But horrible death. And he goes, I was Simon, now I'm Peter. And then he continues in the very first verse, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Both his old and his new name. Believing in the God who sees us and accepts us as we are, but transforms us and who he desires us to be, which is more like his son, Jesus. We are all reflections, sometimes marred, or should I say always marred, but the invitation is to come and let God continue to cleanse as he develops and shows the world who his children are. Verse 3 continues, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine, to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. When we see these things, when we look at verse 4, we might kind of pass over this, but we're sharing in his divine nature right now. If you pause for a second, the God of the universe who created everything by simply believing, we begin to share in his divine nature. We share it. Sometimes we don't like to share. But God shows a reflection of one who is willing to give everything, even himself, and share it with us. And as we share in it, as his nature saves us and restores us, it also compels us to do good. Because that's who he is. He's a good God. He's a good, we've seen this song all the time. He's a good, good father. But it only starts when we begin to believe and that nature begins to flow through us, saving us restoring us, and then doing good things in us and through us. It's a life that's defined with glory and goodness. So there's a story in the Old Testament in Exodus. Exodus is a book in the Bible where we get to see that God's people are saved. In fact, the CNK kids, they're going to look at the story of Moses and freedom. Well, they're going to pull from the book of Exodus. And they're going to learn about being enslaved, but then having a God who mourned for them, for his people, 
and said it's time for freedom. And so he chose this guy, Moses. And as he chose Moses to go and free his people, Moses was a little shaky. And he needed the Lord to show him something so that he knew what he was going to do was a good thing. So he knew that he had kind of like a safety net, that this God was for real. So the Lord replied to Moses, this is in Exodus 33, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I have, favor, for I have looked favorably on you, and I know you by name. And then Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Maybe we should just settle on that, right? I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. So why is God glorious? Well, in part because of his great goodness. Glory and goodness is what we see in Jesus. His glory is shown in part by his goodness. Moses could not see the full glory of God. So God showed all his goodness. I mean, what is that? I mean, just think about that. We know some of his goodness, right? His goodness is that he sent his son to die for us. I mean, he loved us that much. We know part of his goodness every day that we wake up and we see that there's warmth from the sun. I saw some goodness. I believe God was in this. I mean, it, it, and you'll say, well, you're getting older, so you're getting more emotional. But emotionally, I got stirred almost to tears. We went to the parade on Friday. Did anyone go to the parade on Friday? Tried to? So we went down there, and we walked through, and I was getting emotionally disturbed because I was hungry and it was past lunch, and we were trying to find another family, good friends, who were, it was like the Red Sea, but God wasn't parting the waters. And my wife, who's very patient with me and very loving, she saw that I was getting very angry, that I was so hungry, and our good friends had our sandwiches. And I was thinking, I'm never going to eat a freaking sandwich. <laughs> but we went into the tunnels, and there was food. <laughs> it's like manna from heaven, only he dropped it into the tunnels. And there was air conditioning. And we started walking like forever, and we thought for sure we had crossed the other side of downtown, and we would see our friends. And we came back out, and we were like, we've gone two blocks. <laughs> so we climbed up nine stories on this parking garage, and we looked out. And the part that moved me was when the parade began, and the players were there, and the governor, and all these people. But the crowd started to roar. And I Im immediately started to think, in opposite terms, I shared this with Michelle right before. You got a little piece of the message. 
of when they started shouting, crucify him. Only it was opposite, right? We were cheering because we were so excited. But the sound and the murmur of the crowd and the excitement, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever experience something like this again. It was amazing. And God's goodness was there. Not one arrest, someone told me. No injuries that I was aware of. We didn't see ambulances going around all, the, all over the place like you sometimes see. I saw goodness in a person that we hadn't seen for years. As we were walking back, a young girl was overheated and she reached in and gave her some water. I mean, it's small things, right? But this is our city. Boy, I'm proud of our city. Goodness. And God showed his goodness there. Moses got to see part of that when he passed by. How amazing is that? To see a little bit of God's goodness. And we get to see that, right? A little bit of his goodness when things just seem to kind of work out. And you go, wow, Lord, that was awesome. It says, make every effort in the next couple of verses. Those words to make every effort to display this goodness that is beyond our comprehension. It shows attention that we're not fully good. You know when it happens, when you want to do something great, right? And it kind of fails. Some of the people that wanted to be at the parade followed some instructions and went down <laughs> to ride the public transportation. They didn't probably, they probably wouldn't agree with me about the great goodness that I saw because they didn't get to see it, because they were down standing in line for a train that didn't have capacity to take them to the parade. And I saw some of the sad faces as we were walking away from this great, awesome event that they were just walking to. And you could see that they're like, is it over? We missed it. Make every effort. Sometimes you want to make every effort to make a great day for your kids, and you epically fail. Sometimes you try to make every effort to be the best employee, and you can't get one thing right. Sometimes you make every effort to be a good citizen, and then you get really tired. There's a tension. See, we don't become like Jesus because we make enough good things. We become like Jesus because we relent to trust him as we follow him. And he basically leads us into goodness. And let me describe what that looks like. Have you ever tried to do something that you thought was really good and then it totally changes? And it ends up better than what you expected. 
Some of those times we're trusting that the Lord is going to make it better. Let me tell you, there have been several situations when I've been up here preaching where I'm simply trusting that he's going to make it better. (laughs) Better than what I have on paper-ish. Sometimes, in fact, I just did a, a wedding very, about a week ago. Gum toes are here. I didn't know what I was going to say until the day of. He made it better. I didn't make that better. Sometimes you say things and you don't even realize where they're coming from. And then someone will come up and say, that was so good. When you said da-da-da-da-da, and you go, great. Because I don't remember, but I've made every effort. But the tension is, is that I sometimes look back and say, maybe you should have made more effort. But the invitation from the Lord is, keep trying. It says, In verses 5 and 6, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Respond to his goodness. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness. God has given us everything. As soon as you can release that and say, I've done nothing to be where I am today, nor will I do anything to supplement my future. God has done everything, and I trust in everything he will do. You start to realize how good a God he is, how well he's provided in those times when you thought nothing good would come. So we make every effort to add to our faith a basic goodness. He's done everything. He's saved you. He's given you a name. Simon, remember Simon, Peter, does the same for us in our baptism, a new name that's under him. We bear his family name as a Christian. And so we add to that a response of goodness. We make every effort knowing that we probably will fail. So we add knowledge so that we can be informed about what is good. That's why we invite our family to read God's Word. There's both knowledge and power in God's Word. That's why Start in 2 Peter. Now, the wise choice would maybe be John. But there's knowledge and power. And I know the moment that someone reads is the moment that the Holy Spirit begins doing something. I don't always know what he's going to do, but he begins doing something. The moment someone hears the Word of God, he starts doing something. And I trust in that. Someone that can say, I am completely atheist and I don't believe in all this crap that you Christians believe in. I know the moment I speak a verse 
a word from God. He's doing something. The moment I look like a piece of His word, the moment I give peace, the moment I give love, the Spirit's doing something. Not only in that life, but in my life. So we had knowledge, so we can be informed and be good. In our own goodness and knowledge, we also add self-control. We need a lot of that in this world, right? A little self-control. We need self-control so that we don't become the center of our universe. Isn't that easy, right? I saw a great sign the other day at a restaurant that said, God number one, Astros number two. Now, I would have probably reordered that and said, not Astros number one, God number one, my wife or family number two, kids. We got some things that come before the Astros, but boy, are they good. And what I, what I feel and believe in that is I can have a lot of good things that I value, especially if I put them in order doesn't mean that there's a whole lesser degree to it. just simply means they're in the right order. And when I have God as number one, I know the rest are going to be blessed. Isn't that a nice little cliche? The rest will be blessed. I just added that. So, that's right. God made it good. So, we try not to be the center of our universe by adding that self-control. And then we add discipline, because discipline, that discipline of self-control keeps us on track. It keeps us on track because we know it's going to be difficult, and so we add perseverance. I don't know how many of you have tried to have self-control in situations where it's difficult, but then we ask the Lord, give me perseverance, so that in those difficult times I can continue keeping you number one. I can keep reflecting on my life that I don't want to reflect on. I can keep searching for you when I feel like you're far away. I can keep calling out to you when I feel like you're not listening. So to knowledge and self-control and perseverance... We keep going. And in that perseverance, we add godliness. That we would reflect a little bit of that goodness that God is all about. Because that's what it looks like to be a disciple. Peter says, in godliness with brotherly affection. He adds one more thing to all these this long list. Brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Because see, being a disciple isn't just about my personal journey. Peter knows it's not just about him and his life with Jesus. It's what it looks like when he reflects Jesus within a community that he loves. And that community that he loves then loves those around him and around them. Peter may be recalling 
a significant event, or what we would call here at Oikos a Kairos event, when the kingdom of God breaks in. Now, at this moment, Peter, if he was reflecting back, perhaps, was at his lowest moment because he had, a, had abandoned Jesus and run away, but Jesus re-encountered him. The story is out of John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young and you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you will not want to go. This he said to show what show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So in this conversation that Jesus has with Peter, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, phileo, the Greek word phileo, which is a big statement. It's brotherly love. I love you like a brother. Jesus, I love you like a brother. But then Jesus uses a different word, and he says agape. And agape means to sacrifice for. And it's interesting because isn't that exactly what Peter would not do and what he needed forgiveness for? He didn't want to sacrifice his life, and he, in fact, even pushed that Jesus would not sacrifice his life. So he speaks to Peter and said, will you sacrifice for me? And Peter responds by saying, phileo, which is also not only a brotherly love, but I love you like a friend. And perhaps at that moment, it clicked that Jesus said, no greater love is this than one who would lay down his life for a friend. And Peter was cut to the heart. We need to add deep friendship. As we experience life together, as we look at self-control and perseverance, Jesus also calls us, and Peter is reflecting for us to add deep friendship that we would lay our lives down for each other. And I reflected on deep friendship this week, and I realized that one way that I can reflect about deep friendship and what exactly is deep friendship 
especially in this world where we say, oh, I love you. Maybe we throw love too fast. Maybe we don't go through this process where we go, love means to sacrifice for you. I thought that sometimes deep friendships don't happen because our friendships are based on proximity. What I mean by that is they're based on geography. So I'm your friend as long as you're my neighbor. As long as you live in this area, I'm your friend. If you move, well, we don't have a friendship anymore. Or I'm your friend as long as we're working together, same workplace. Oh, we're, we're great friends. But you got a, do- a job somewhere else, so I guess I'm not really, I mean, you're gone, <laughs> right? Maybe I don't think about you anymore. It's gone. I've had a lot of these proximity friends. I, I just reflect, I'm like, gosh, Aaron, you've had, man, all I have to do is look at my Facebook. <laughs> you go, proximity friend, proximity friend, proximity friend. They're still kind of, but... I think if I said, do you love me? They wouldn't say, oh, I don't love you. But I don't think they'd be like, ooh, I would sacrifice for you. There's something in the secret sauce of Jesus that says you need deep friendships. We need that together. Because when you open up your heart, is when you start to see me more clearly. Because that's what I desire with each of you. It's a deep friendship. Jesus says, I will sacrifice for you. I've already sacrificed for you. I will not quit. Even if you do. So the way you show the world that I exist in your life is reflect that. Deep friendships, putting others before you, but actually knowing their name, knowing their story, knowing knowing their life. So Peter goes on in verses 8 through 11, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I reflect on this, if I trust God and do these things that he says are good, not because it will make me better, but simply because I start reflecting who he is. His divine nature flows more through me, which means there will be fruit that comes out of my discipleship in Jesus there will be a harvest that comes as I pursue deep friendships, as I pursue patient endurance, as I pursue self-control, as I pursue Jesus. 
As I pursue Jesus, God's glory passes before me. And his goodness is shown. Just like in the moment I was baptized, his glory passed before me. As he said, Aaron, you are my son. Or Suzanne, you are my daughter. You are my family. Now display who you are in me. So we return back to the verse that says, make every effort. That's all he asks us to do. He's not asking us to save ourselves. He's not asking us to be someone we're not. But he is calling us and giving us an invitation to make every effort to display his glory. And when we do this, we see his goodness. You want to see his goodness? You want to see his goodness like I saw his goodness at the parade? I want, I see heaven one day. And I, I mean, you saw it. Every color, language, person possible that day. And I thought, this is going to be like heaven. Right? I mean, just picture it for a moment. Jesus is here. I hope we're not lame. And we all just go watch TV. I hope we get our butts up and go to the parade because Jesus is here and I want to hear those shouts together of how awesome he is because we will see his goodness in completion. And all of a sudden, we will be changed and we will be full of goodness and all that stuff and we wrestle with, we will no longer have to make every effort. We will simply be good. So today, make every effort as we prepare for Jesus to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this time together. As a family, as people who are in relationship with each other, and Lord, we confess that even in this small family of faith called Oikos Church, our relationships can be on a very shallow level. So Lord, give us opportunities, whether they're at MCs, missional communities, invitations over to people's homes, invitations to watch a game with or that their child is in or come over for a birthday party, that we would make space for each other as a family, that we would develop those deep relationships that Peter calls us to do, that we wouldn't be proximity friends, that simply because we're a part of this church right now, 
we kind of know this person, and, but if we get mad at the church and we leave, we're not going to be friends with that person anymore. Or if we move, we're just not connected as much, so we just kind of forget. Lord, right now, in this place, may we develop the relationships that will move past proximity. That would move past proximity into permanence. Sometimes we only get to experience that with a few people. But I pray that we would experience it with more and more. Especially here, right now, right here in this place. May we reflect the goodness of what brotherly love looks like. In your name we pray. Amen.